BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Pam Garrison, a spokesperson for the West Virginia chapter of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. The website poorpeoplescampaign.org and the Twitter handle Unite the Poor. Pam, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. So tell us there in West Virginia how you're dealing with Senator Manchin's, uh, shall we say, intransigence? Well, that's the reason we've invited Reverend Barber, the Poor People's Campaign, and the country to join us in standing up to the lies, the propaganda, the spin that has been put on the people. West Virginians are not happy. We're not content to live in poverty without a, a, we are one of the poorest states there is. Most of our jobs are minimum wage jobs. And so tourism is one of our main industries. And they won't give us a, a living wage. We are living in poverty. We hear the spin that this with the elections. We watched what happened January the 6th in horror like every other American did. And We've heard that we had one of the most secure, safest elections there ever was by the Department of Justice, the Homeland Security, every secretary of state. And then as soon as it's over, we see elected officials start trying to dismantle democracy, suppress our votes, take away our rights, and the people are not going to stand for it. And we have heard the lies about the filibuster the filibuster is used to suppress the will of the people. It is not constitutional. It is unconstitutional. We've heard the spin about bipartisanship. There's some things, yes, bipartisanship that they can work on. But there's some things you have to have principles that you have to defend. And that's what we want Senator Manchin to do. Stand up and defend our democracy. Here in West Virginia, we have fought our legislatures, and we are 95% white. So this isn't a white issue, a black issue. This is a voter suppression issue. This is a red, white, and blue issue. In West Virginia, they've tried to make it illegal for us to protest. So the Milan strikers and the UMW and stuff wouldn't have the right to even have their voices heard. They are trying to silence the people. And this is a strategy. This isn't about poli- This isn't about party and race. This is a strategy to keep us poor and suppressed. Yeah, I totally get that, Pam. Pam, in, in West Virginia, as you pointed out, West Virginia is 95 percent white. In most of the states, most of the states that are aggressively passing these laws, or the ones that did it most quickly, are states that have substantial black populations and Hispanic populations, you know, Florida, Texas, et cetera. And the idea, I think, from the Republicans' point of view was that minorities are more likely to vote for Democrats, and so we're going to pass laws that's going to make it harder for minorities to vote. In West Virginia, That dynamic doesn't play out as large as it does in, for example, Georgia. How does that change the political calculus there? Because essentially, I suppose in West Virginia, you could say that the Republicans have substituted poor people for black people in other states. And what does that mean to Joe Manchin? I mean, that 
you know, civil rights leaders come and try to talk to him. And and his response is basically "Eh, tough luck. And he doesn't have a large black electorate in West Virginia that he has to worry about backlash from. That goes to show you that this isn't about race. This is a strategy. This is a strategy to keep the elites and the corporations in power and making our policies and making our decisions. And that is who we are watching pull the strings in Washington. It's not the people that we send that are supposed to be standing up for the common good of the people and for democracy. It is trying to get political gains with their lobbyists and their corporate donors. They try to treat us like we're stupid, but, you know, we're not as stupid as they think that we are. And we do realize what's going on. So, in other words, what you're saying is that this was really never a strategy about race. What the Republicans have been doing is, you know, trying to get and hang on to power in whatever way they have to do it. And if that means suppressing people's right to vote based on their race, they'll do that. If it means suppressing people's right to vote based on poverty, they'll do that. If it means suppressing people's right to vote based on geography, they'll do that. Is that that's essentially what you're saying, Pam Garrison? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Like I said, this is a strategy that's being pulled on the people. This isn't about this divide and conquer strategy. We've seen this and heard this for years, this same old spin we've seen and heard for years. Well, the people have woke up. You know, the old spin, the old cliches, they don't work on us anymore. This divide and conquer they keep trying to pull on us. We're not going to put up with it. We are not going to do it. I get it. We are joining together, every party. Pam, you're absolutely right. And this is a strategy that didn't start last month. It's not a strategy that Donald Trump invented. Back in 1980, the guy who was the co-founder of the Heritage Foundation, the organization that funnels millions of dollars to right-wing talk show hosts as subsidies, the organization that has authored a lot of very bizarre legislation, runs all these think tanks and everything else, was named Paul Weyrich. He was working on the Reagan campaign in 1980. And in a church basement in Dallas, this is just a little clip of a speech that he gave to a group of Republican Christian activists. And this is when they kicked off the Republican campaign against voters. Now, many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. I mean, that was 1980. 41 years ago, the Republicans have been running this scam in various forms. So how is it playing out specifically in West Virginia and what can be done about it? Since 1980, that is when Reagan went in and started busting up all the unions, the airline unions. That's when he busted the UMW. We heard acid rain. Every one of our coal mines is closed. And we've heard that been hearing the propaganda from them ever since. Oh, we're going to bring your coal mines back. No, they're not. It's a dying dinosaur industry that they propagate West Virginians with, that we're going to bring your coal back. No, they're not. That is a dying dinosaur industry. Reagan and the, that's what I'm saying. This We have been, had this same propaganda put on us and this false narrative that, that the Christians are for this hate and and therefore, you know, separating people and demagoguing people and everything. That's not reality. That is their spin and their propaganda. I'm here, my family, I've got Republican families. I've got liberal families. I've got, you know, we're neighbors. We're all, we're not out here fighting each other and all that. We are all together on, on, for, if you talk to any one of them about their kids dying, from the opioid addictions, from them going hungry and not being able to pay their bills, from them not being able to find a job, our infrastructure falling down, everything. Americans are are united. Mm. We are united. Yeah. We have a 
slim majority of the wealthiest people that has all the money that is keeping our economy stagnant that is who is our is the ruling class instead of the people it is the elites and the people are here to take it back this is our country this is our democracy and we are not going to be silent anymore I get it. I get it, Pam. And what can people do to support the Poor People's Campaign there in West Virginia and nationally? I know there's poorpeoplescampaign.org. Go there as a starting point. Go there as a starting point. Join us. We're sending letters to every representative, to Senator Manchin, Senator Capito, because that this is not a red and blue issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue. They all should be held accountable for their words and their actions, what they do and what they don't do to the people. We need truth. These lies and spin, we've had enough of this. We want integrity. We want accountability. We want the truth. Yeah. We can handle the truth. We are we're big people. We can handle it. And you know what? We're tired of hearing there's no solutions to none of the problems because we know there is. Yeah. We know if there was the will behind it, our country would be, we wouldn't be watching authoritarian countries with their big modern infrastructure in every country leaving us behind. We were the leaders of the free world, and we have fallen to where we're begging, you know, that that's not America. We're the light on the bright light on the shining hill. What happened to that? We're, we are not isolationist. We are leaders. Pam, uh, we just have 30 seconds. How does this play out with Joe Manchin now? Hopefully Joe will listen to the people and quit listening to the dark money or whoever he's listening to. We did not send him there to appease Mitch McConnell. We had 12, 13 years of Mitch McConnell telling us, send your bills to the Grim Reaper so I can let him die in my graveyard. We are done with that. We put them in there to get something done. We want resolutions. We want to move forward. Amen. Pam Garrison, the spokesperson for the West Virginia chapter of the Poor People's Campaign, poorpeoplescampaign.org. And we are all applauding you here, Pam. Pam, thank you so much for the Join call. me. Yeah. Join me. Amen. Okay. <laughs> I love it. You're, you're, you're spectacular. Pam, thank you so much for dropping by today and talking to us. And please thank give our best so to Linda Barber. Thank you. I sure will. Thank you. Mm, bye-bye. It's Congressman Mark Pocan with Congressman Pocan, represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. He's a member and former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's on the Appropriations, Education, and Labor Committees in the U.S. House of Representatives. Pocan.house.gov is his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan, one of our finest progressives in the U.S. House of Representatives. Congressman Pocan, welcome back. I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, anything in general, A, if you want to lay down anything, and B, you know, what's going on right now with uh, President Biden and President Putin. And up until now, and we're, we will see, Putin has been kind of supporting Trump's uh, claims of rigged elections and things, has he not? Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting because, as you said, you know, there certainly seems to still be some affection from Vladimir Putin to Donald Trump, rightfully so. Donald Trump kind of let him walk all over us a little bit in the last four years in some ways. But right now, I think, you know, with the ransomware attacks, with some other issues that are clearly important, it's going to be interesting to see how they describe their conversations. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we don't want to go back into any kind of a Cold War era, right? We need to to be able to restore our position in the world. And, you know, between the G7 conversations and this and other things the president's doing, this is all so very important. So I am anxious to see the final outcome of those conversations as well. Yeah, me too. Uh, what else is on your radar screen right now, Congressman Pocan? The infrastructure package is probably first and foremost. Even though I'm in the middle of the appropriations process, that's going to be taking up a lot of my time serving on that committee in June and July. But the, the infrastructure package, the fact that we have this uh, gang of 10 in the Senate, um, moderates, conservative Democrats, uh, more traditional, I guess, Republicans, um, you know, is, is of concern what they're putting together. We haven't seen all the final details, but, you know, there's a lot of big 
important ideas in what Joe Biden put out there that we want to make sure stay in any final package. And if they give us something that's too watered down and doesn't do the job it needs to and they're a little murky on how they're paying for it, you know, I think a lot of other members of Congress, the other, uh, you know, um, 525 of us uh, may have something to say. So I think, you know, the concern is that people are assuming um, that some kind of a compromise among 10 people uh, may be more important than what the rest of us think. And I think, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of cautiously moving forward. What we don't want to happen is some of the promises around climate change and other human infrastructure uh, don't ever happen. And we wind up just with a smaller bill um, that may be fine for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, but it's not fine for the rest of us. Yeah. And what what do you think is going to come out of that? I'm hearing calls to, to hold the Senate over through the summer. Uh, you know, what what can be done? Yeah, it's a little early to really know on that level. I think people are just guessing. But we need to know first what the details are. Right. They're not exactly sharing them. I'm not even sure if they exactly know them. But, you know, um, as I explained to a reporter yesterday, Tom, I've gotten together with 10 friends and had some brilliant ideas at a bar I wrote on a napkin doesn't mean, though, that they're going to become a reality, right? And that's mm-hmm. what this is right now. It's 10 members. Um, whether or not they get enough Republican support, whether or not they get enough Democratic support, you know, we still have reconciliation in our pocket. We don't have to settle for an unbaked loaf of bread. And, uh, you know, I hope that everyone keeps that in mind as we move forward, because uh, there was a lot that Joe Biden did right in uh, the, the jobs plan and the families plan. We want to make sure those things have a real chance moving forward, and it's not Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema deciding our future. Yeah, yeah, totally with you. Uh, well, uh, let's pick up some phone calls here. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Omar, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, sir. Tom Harmon and Laura Pocan. I just want to make the point that 2022 is just around the corner, and that infrastructure bill is going to be the receipt for a lot of Democrats that they're going to show to their constituents. So we need to pass that infrastructure bill. They need something to run on. And my question to you, Laura Mark Pocan, is all this voter oppression that is happening in the South, Georgia, Arizona, and coming very soon to a state house run by Republicans, i.e. Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, you know, what, what is the DCCC and the DNC and the committee to re-elect Democrats going to counter that? Have they made a note of it? Have they stopped looking at this matter with both eyes? What is the strategy to counter that? Because the, the Republicans are going to engage in voter oppression before the election and after the election. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, Omar. And I think, you know, our big concern is we want to do H.R. 1. And unfortunately, Joe Manchin and, and maybe a few others in the Senate are, are causing some problems. They should. You know, one thing that does kind of unify Democrats is about, you know, combating voter suppression. H.R. 1 is even more comprehensive in dealing with other issues around special interest uh, ethics and, and election law as well. But we have to be ready to do whatever, including getting around the filibuster to make sure that we're not allowing States to make it harder for people to have the ability to vote. And that's exactly what you're seeing. The show in, in Arizona, quite honestly, is like, you know, um, bad cable TV uh, right now. Uh, you know, it's not going to amount to anything. It's a joke. It's a farce. Uh, Wisconsin, some Republican legislators just went down to watch what's going on. Uh, you know, but none of that's going to do anything. But it still allows the base to believe whatever they want to believe that they've heard from Donald Trump anyway. The more important part is that we actually combat those uh, laws, and we really do need to pass something out of Congress. One more reason why we need the Senate to take a serious look at the filibuster, and we need to be heard to our senators and members of the House about that. You're uh, 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 one of the things I really appreciate about you, Congressman Pocan, is that you have uh, some real extraordinary insights into how politics works and how people respond to things. What happens if the the cyber ninjas come out and, uh, you know, in a week or two and say, OK, we've completed the audit. And what we found was that there were twenty five thousand ballots here, enough to turn over the or whatever the number is that would flip the election to Biden. Uh, that clearly had uh, evidence of uh, bamboo particles that were flown in from China. Uh, we can't verify them. Uh, we're pretty sure that there's fraud, and uh, we're reporting this to the Republicans. And then the Republicans who control the Arizona legislature pass a, a resolution, let's say, because they don't have any legal basis to do anything else, I believe, 
that reallocates Arizona's electors to Donald Trump. And then Trump starts saying, OK, it's begun. And then the same thing happens in Pennsylvania. I mean, you know, Trump thinks he's going to be back in office in August, or at least he wants, you know, the, the suckers to think that. I've gotten five fundraising emails from him in the last seven days. Uh, I got a fundraising text message from him. I don't know how he got my phone number. <laughs> it's like that's a first. But, you know, whether this is a scam or whether he's actually trying to trying to continue this coup d'etat that we got the receipts for, you know, from the House Oversight Committee. How does that play out? I mean, what happens when Republicans start actually thinking, I mean, large numbers of them, Fox News starts reporting that, gee, maybe the election will be overturned? Well, I mean, grifter is going to grift, right? And uh, Donald Trump is a grifter. Uh, P.T. Barnum uh, holds nothing to Donald Trump uh, when it comes to uh, the way he behaves. And I fully, you know, I think your scenario is a very possible scenario could come out of there. Now, clearly, you know, thinking people know that what's going on is not real, but this is not uh, meant to be a message for thinking people. This is a message meant for Trump's base. So they will do exactly what you just said. Keep sending him money so that when he is president again, they'll be able to, you know, make America great again, blah, 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 blah. Uh, that's so Donald Trump's going to grip. I, I think the thing that we have to do is hold more mainstream Republicans and, and other mainstream uh, folks together, which I think is largely happening. Again, this is more about Donald Trump uh, enriching himself and his family still and continuing to take advantage of the suckers uh, than anything that in reality will have any impact on, obviously he's not coming back, but even an impact on elections. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think, uh, you know, we got to remember, Grifter's going to grip. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about that, and they sure are coming out of the woodwork. More of your calls for Representative Mark Pocan right after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Stick around. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And welcome back. Stephen in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Stephen, you're on the air with Congressman Pogan. Thank you, Tom. Say, Mark, I was wondering, a lot of money was distributed in the PPP program last year. And is there any possibility, uh, maybe you've already, the Congress has already been accountable for some of it, but is there any possibility that Steve Mnuchin and Donald Trump could have recycled some of that funding through uh, companies back to them? Yeah, he tried to secretly handle $500 billion of it, a half a trillion, uh, as I recall. Stephen, great question. Thank you. Congressman? Yeah, I mean, uh, Stephen, it's very likely that, you know, Donald Trump or some of his um, allies were able to benefit off of the PPP program, uh, especially in the beginning when we put it out there. We got it because we had to have something quick uh, that were uh, was out there. And I know of other businesses, I think, that might have said they were impacted and not. But, um, I, you know, I don't know if there's something that we can actually do going back. It's very, very difficult to, to be able to try to do that. But, you know, Donald Trump clearly, I mean, look at all the money he made on his properties with secret uh, service. Look at all the money he made on his properties uh, on that sort of thing. That's what he's about. That That's who Donald Trump is. And hopefully every day that goes by when we get farther from his presidency, more and more people will see that as the truth. Uh, but, you know, this guy um, is a master grifter. And, uh, you know, I just hope 
that sooner than later uh, we start to see Republicans stand up for <laughs> themselves rather than letting this guy continue to be the head of their party. Smitty in Molokai, Hawaii. You are on the air with Representative Pocan. Uh, aloha. Obi Tom Kenobi and Jedi Pocan. Uh, Congressman, I, I got received a letter from uh, a guy named Alex Lassery. He's going to be running against Ron Johnson. Uh, is he progressive enough to wor- be worth supporting, or shall I wait for the primaries? Um, we're going to have a big primary, and I'm, I'm not backing anyone. In fact, the role I'm trying to take is making sure everyone realizes the person that they're running against is Ron Johnson and not each other. Um, but we've got extraordinary people running, and there's still going to be a couple more people running. I think you're going to wind up with probably seven or eight people in that primary. So, you know, I'm not going to give uh, direct advice to anyone um, other than to say I think you're going to have a, a lot of good candidates, and we're going to have someone who's in a position to beat Ron Johnson. And certainly post-primary, we hope people around the country that think Ron Johnson um, is, is, you know, is, as some would say, as dumb as a box of rocks, although I think that's insulting to the rocks. Uh, that that people will be there to help us out, um, that would certainly be appreciated. What is the state of Wisconsin politics right now? I know you've got a majority Democratic state that's controlled by Republicans. We've got uh, 25 seconds. Your thoughts? We're a purple state. Uh, Statewide, we elect uh, Democrats um, like Tammy Baldwin, who's a good, strong progressive. Uh, We have all the constitutional officers right now are Democratic, but we have an incredibly gerrymandered state legislature where 54% of the people voted Democrat. We got 30-some seats out of it. So um, state of the play is uh, redistricting is extremely important to us. Uh, We are purple uh, state, but we're indigo blue if people come out to vote. So efforts for getting out the vote are the most important thing for us. There you go. Congressman Mark Pocan with us for the hour, taking your calls on subjects of interest to you and others. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. You can find his website at Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan as in Representative Mark Pocan. Our book today is Playing with Fire, the 1968 Election and the Transformation of American Politics by Lawrence O'Donnell. The first chapter, Seizing the Moment. It starts in 1968. Richard Nixon was in a makeup chair when he met Roger Ailes. Maybe it was the makeup chair that set Ailes off. He was looking at the man who might have been president right now if he had just sat in the makeup chair CBS offered him in Chicago before the first televised presidential debate in American history. Nixon had ignored the network's makeup artist and used a drugstore product called Lazy Shave to cover his heavy 5 o'clock shadow. Nixon once said, I can shave within 30 seconds before I go on television and still have a beard. The day after the debate, the Chicago Daily News ran the headline, Was Nixon Sabotaged by TV Makeup Artists? Uh, Richard Daly, the all-powerful Democratic mayor of Chicago, said, My God, they've embalmed him even before he died. Nixon lost the election to John F. Kennedy by two-tenths of one percent of the vote, 49.7 percent to 49.5 percent. In an election that close, every mistake matters. A mistake like not getting the makeup right was the kind of thing that infuriated Roger Ailes. Now, seven years later, Ailes was meeting Nixon for the first time in the makeup room of the Mike Douglas show. At age 26, Ailes looked like an assistant, but he was the boss, the executive producer of the show. And Nixon was once again a presidential candidate in what was beginning to look like a crowded field covering the 1968 Republican nomination. Ailes wanted Nixon to be president, and he knew the most powerful force blocking Nixon's path to the White House was television. To win the White House in the 1960s, you had to understand and respect the power of television. Ailes also knew that one of Nixon's potential rivals for the Republican nomination understood everything about television, Ronald Reagan, the former film and TV actor. Ailes wondered what Nixon had learned about TV since the makeup disaster of the 1960 campaign. Sitting in the makeup chair, Nixon offhandedly mentioned to Ailes how silly it felt to try to reach voters by appearing on an afternoon talk show like this one instead of a news show like Meet the Press. The Mike Douglas show is targeted at housewives and usually populated by B-list showbiz celebrities. In response, Ailes instantly rattled off a list of every bad move Nixon had ever made on TV, and it was a long list. Ailes was a teenager when he'd seen some of these things. This was not the way people talked to former Vice President Richard Milhouse Nixon. There was none of the deference Nixon had become accustomed to over the decades, and Nixon loved it. 
Nixon made Ailes an offer he couldn't refuse. Instead of trying to make Mike Douglas America's biggest afternoon TV star, make Richard Nixon America's next president. With Ailes on the media team, the Nixon campaign was ready to make the move from being the worst TV campaign to the best. We're going to build this whole campaign around television, Nixon told his media team. You boys just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Roger Ailes' career in Republican politics, which included every day he ran Fox News, turned out to be longer than Richard Nixon's. Ailes became more influential in Republican politics than Nixon ever was. We have reason to wonder who would be president today if Richard Nixon had not provoked Roger Ailes in the Mike Douglas Show makeup room. Such are the seeds that were planted in American politics in the 1968 presidential campaign. Run, Bobby, run is the subhead for the next part of this. Bobby was a natural on television. In 1967, he was the only potential presidential candidate who could charm a TV audience just by being himself. All he needed was his smile. Bobby was the Elvis of American politics, the only politician who didn't need a last name to identify him. But his last name was everything. It was Bobby Kennedy's last name that made every potential candidate fear him. As the field of candidates began to take shape in 1967, every campaign calculation depended on Bobby, even when he showed no signs of wanting to run, even when he told people he wasn't going to run. President Lyndon Baines Johnson feared Bobby to the point of obsession. Johnson thought Bobby was the only one who could do the unthinkable, challenge the incumbent president's grip on the Democratic nomination. Johnson was sure that Bobby was the only Democrat who might dare run against him. He was wrong. Nixon feared Bobby, too, as did every Republican planning a campaign. Nixon knew exactly what to fear. He had lost to a Kennedy before. Losing to a Kennedy meant losing to the Kennedy political machine, and it meant losing it to the Kennedy style. A political machine can be beaten by a better political machine, though Nixon had never seen a better political machine than the Kennedys. Kennedy's style was something else. Nixon knew there was nothing Ailes could do for his image that could compete with Kennedy's style. Nixon couldn't change his sharply receding hairline. At 54, he was too old to do anything but tamp down his short, dark hair as flat as possible on his head. Bobby's hair had grown longer every year of the 1960s. Now at 42, he had the shaggiest hair in the United States Senate. His little brother Ted was the only other senator with a full head of hair. Bobby's hair was beginning to grow over his ears, rock musician length for the Senate then. And everywhere Bobby spoke outside the Senate chamber, he was treated like a rock star. That's what Nixon and Johnson feared most about Bobby, the way the crowds responded to him. They'd never seen anything like it in politics. Nixon and Johnson were both old enough to remember the first time anyone saw fans screaming and swooning for Frank Sinatra in the 1940s before, during, and after every song Sinatra sang. America saw an even more intense version of that fan reaction when the Beatles landed in the United States in 1964. And now Nixon and Johnson saw a version of it happening to Bobby. Everywhere Bobby went, crowds worked themselves into frenzies. When he spoke, he didn't sound like any senator they'd heard before. His voice wasn't stiff and self-conscious. The book Playing With Fire by Lawrence O'Donnell. Dave in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Good afternoon, Representative Pocan, Tom. Just for a little bit of a background here, between 500 and 750,000 Americans annually require dialysis. What would it take to change the uh, food and drug laws so fast food companies have to report the amount of phosphorus and potassium in their food? Because that go a long ways in helping us to decide, you know, where to eat and what to get. Because those things damage the kidneys? Because those things build up without the kidneys working. Yeah, huh. yeah I, I mean, I, I think, you know, like we do with other um, uh, items in food, you know, there's ways that you can pass a law to have that uh, information disclosed. So that's all it would require. I'm not real familiar, as I don't think Tom was either, exactly with, um, you know, what that is. So I'd welcome any information about that. Tim in Hickory, North Carolina, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Oh, thanks for taking my call. It's about the filibuster. And I understand the Republicans blew up the filibuster for the Supreme Court justices, and so it was a limited change. Why is camp, and what is the argument against using that same process to limit the filibuster to 50 votes for modifying voting rights for like SR1? I'm confused what the hesitation is there. I know it's about the Senate, but I'm curious what the hesitation is to just modify that section of the filibuster rules. 
Yeah, I'm curious too. I'll tell you, I don't understand this thaw sacrosanctness of the filibuster, right? It was not part of the founding of this country. It came in later because they had no way to stop debate. I never thought about that. Uh, that's why it was created. It's been abused uh, and uh, used to enhance Jim Crow laws over the years. Uh, there's really nothing sacrosanct about it, uh, yet uh, some senators who uh, I think especially may um, more frequently talk to special interests uh, they seem to like it because uh, the less action on their industries, the better off they are. And therefore, if you made some changes, it could be down the road, it could have other effects. But I don't get it. Uh, there's no reason for uh, senators to, to be doing what they're doing right now on the Democratic side. We do need to get things done. The American Recovery Act, to be fair, was one of the biggest bills passed in decades, and it's extremely substantial. But we still have to do more, and an infrastructure bill especially uh, I think is crucial uh, for the American people. And I think, you know, we've got to keep pushing senators to realize that, you know, this thing is not part of our founding fathers. This thing evolved and has been abused along the way. And, and we shouldn't be essentially suckers because the Republicans will use this in a very different way. Yeah, it came out of the Confederacy. I've been lobbying for a Jimmy Stewart filibuster where they have to keep 40 members on the floor and they have to have somebody speaking. And when the minute either of those two things is broken, a vote is called. Christine in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman I have a question for you about the funding for all of our infrastructure. Whenever Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders were talking, they wanted to put a... Uh, tax on the trade going through our financial institutions. So that Wall Street trading that was once uh, a, a form of, of income for our government uh, could tax those trades. And and no one really would would have that much of an impact. Why aren't we talking about that? And, and, and are they looking at that? Yeah, so that's not what Joe... Biden put out there. However, Joe Biden, to his credit, had raising the corporate tax rate and going after corporations that hide their money overseas to, I think, great revenue sources for an infrastructure plan, as well as some other things that go after uh, people who aren't paying the same kind of tax rate as, as most people do. That is absolutely the high-speed transaction fee, also known as a Robin Hood fee, I think it used to be called, although I think people realize that didn't message too well. It is a great idea, and they do it in the European Union, for example, But it's not something that's proposed by the president, and it certainly could be used if they were at an impasse on a funding source. But what we haven't seen out of this kind of gang of 10 that have come up with their own plan is what they're going to use for a funding source. And that's part of why, you know, without actually seeing their final plan, we're not exactly sure how much we know about it, like it or or not. But you're right. It is a good funding source. It's a, it's a substantial amount of money. The European Union does something very similar, and it absolutely could be used for a lot of different things in the future. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Yeah, hi. As far as I know, even though we have a uh, international treaty not to militarize space, Trump formed the, the Space Force, which I don't even know what they do. But I do know we haven't been attacked by Mars since it was, uh, you know, uh, started. But what the Defense Department, I had heard, said, we don't need this. What we need is a cyber defense force. And we have been attacked on our own soil by Russia through their proxies. Don't you think it's time we went head to head with them and announced a cyber defense force? So a couple things. First of all, you're right. Donald Trump has protected us from both Martians and, uh, you know, any people from Venus also. So I want to give him credit, you know, uh, for both of those. Yeah, I mean, you know, totally. It's That's on Donald Trump. Unfortunately, we saw that they are going to keep the Space Force. So uh, I hope it's being used in a way that makes some sense. But I was a little disappointed to see that. But you're absolutely right. And I, I don't think it has to necessarily be in the Department of Defense. I would argue, though, that we could redirect some of the current Pentagon spending that goes to private contractors towards this. And this would be valuable because of what's happening. In fact, recently I saw we we did do something and got some of the money back for the entity, I believe, in Texas that paid five million dollars. Plus, we took some more money out of their account. And hopefully after the conversation today with Vladimir Putin, 
we're making some other progress. But you're right. This is kind of a modern situation we're going to have. We should be doing more on this front. I just don't know if I want to put it in the Department of Defense. I think, you know, the way I look at defense is, you know, Dr. Zha, who's been one of the national experts on COVID, recently said COVID-19 was a national security threat. And I agree with him. And we should be looking at other ways that we defend the American people that doesn't involve military contractors. I think we just have to redirect some of that Pentagon spending for the defense and use it for other things like what you mentioned, uh, like fighting climate change, uh, like uh, fighting uh, pandemics and disease. And then I think we would be in a much better and safer position as, as America. Cliff in Cleveland, Ohio, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. I'm calling about the Biden Justice Department. I'd like uh, Congressman Pocan's take on it. This is Ray testified about his knowledge about the uh, January 6th and tapping Congress telephone lines and emails. I'd like to know more about that. And, and thinking back to the Trump Justice Department, he fired McCabe if he wouldn't play ball. And all those guys at the Justice Department, were, uh, senior officials, were at or near retirement. They took their pension away if they wouldn't play ball. They fired Comey because he wouldn't play ball. All I see at the Justice Department is, is Trump devotees. I mean, they fired people like uh, uh, Sally Yates and, and, and the other people. What's your take on, on the honesty of what's left at the Justice Department and FBI? Uh, thanks, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll listen. Thank you, Cliff. Bye-bye. Sure. Uh, well, Cliff, I mean, first of all, Donald Trump is corrupt, right? And I don't think that should shock us what he did. I think we all assumed it. Now we have information about it. The good news is Jerry Nadler, the head of Judiciary Committee, said they're going to do hearings around this, and we're going to get more information and, and get to the bottom of it. I don't know if it impacts necessarily how I'm currently looking at the Department of Justice, other than we want to make sure if anyone did improperly use their role, they shouldn't be at the Department of Justice. But, you know, this is part of what Donald Trump did. You know, he thought he was emperor, not president. And because of that, he thought the Department of Justice was his personal uh, legal department, not the, the country's lawyers. And one more example of why Donald Trump was never fit for office, and hopefully we'll be able to get to the bottom of it. If there is a problem with anyone who's still there, we can address that. But you know, I guess I'm not shocked that this is what Donald Trump did. George in Garden City, Kansas, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Yes, Representative Pocan. I was just wondering if there's any plans in the works to uh, lower the uh, age of Medicare from 65 to 60. And I'll take your response off the air. Thank you. Yeah, George, I think that would be a great first start, right? I want Medicare for all. We have to build support to get to that point, and we don't have enough votes yet in the House or Senate to do that. But that is the best path. In fact, you probably just saw recently, I think almost one out of six claims under the Affordable Care Act was denied. And uh, I have a question for Javier Becerra in a few minutes on that very subject, because I think that's troublesome. Um, but, you know, Joe Biden himself said he supported uh, lowering that age. I think it's something we should do. We have talked about it within the Progressive Caucus, and I'm, I'm hopeful that that's something we can make happen. But again, you know, we're going to need some of the Senate folks to quit, you know, being so close to special interest in order to get that done. Cindy in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, guys. First time caller, longtime listener. Thank you. Mark, my mom passed away last year in April of COVID here in Madison. She was an avid uh, donator to the Republican Party. All her mail has gotten forwarded to my address, and I am getting letters, donation letters from the Republican Party and the Republican candidates on a monthly basis at least. Is there a number or a way that I can contact them to take her off the mailing list because she's been gone a year and a half now. And I don't want that mail sent to my house anymore. Yeah, Cindy, I'll tell you, you can try. Um, It's not easy, right? Part of the problem is a lot of political entities trade lists. And once you're on a list, it kind of exponentially grows. And, you know, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about your mother. You live in my district and, you know, my mother got COVID as well, but luckily didn't have symptoms. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's been a rough year for, um, 
all of us in trying to deal with this this dreadful disease that Donald Trump didn't handle. Um, so I'm sure the reminder through the mail is, is painful. But having said that, uh, you know, maybe try reaching out to the RNC or the state Republican Party. You can ask them. But my guess is because lists expand like that, you'll probably be getting that, unfortunately, for quite a while. You can always, you know, put a pen across and say um, return to sender. And uh, you can do things like that. And hopefully that'll help. But I wish I could give you a better answer. Pat in San Diego, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi. Yes, Congressman Pocan, I am very concerned about these insurrectionists. I think they are not being charged properly and, and are, uh, you know, they are not being charged with attempted coup or, or sedition or anything of the sort. And I'm very concerned that they are not uh, being held behind bars because I see article after article about that. And our Department of Justice has been issuing uh, pardons pretty much to Trump on every case that has come up federally. And what, what are the Democrats going to do about that? Because we, we have to have at least federally an AG that, that is for justice. And this one does not appear to be. You know, Pat, I'm not there yet because I know the, the legal system takes a while. So, I, you know, I know many people have been charged and I think they're going to be moving forward yet. So let's see how that unfolds. I think what I have heard is that many of those people haven't had previous charges, which is why they're often released. And, you know, uh, I would expect that for anyone who's committed any crime. So I'm not fully concerned yet. But you're right. If we don't see actual people going to jail or paying a price, that is a real reason for concern. Yeah. Deterrence is the old word. Yeah. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Pocan.house.gov is his website. You can tweet Representative Pocan at Rep Mark Pocan. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And welcome back. Ryan in Tacoma, Washington. You're on the air with Representative Pocamp. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking the call. I just wish I would see more urgency on the part of all Democrats about the end of democracy that we're witnessing in front of our face. Tom, you had asked Representative Pocamp there about, you know, the Arizona audit and all the, you know, maybe it spills over to Pennsylvania and all the shenanigans and Congressman Pocamp. You ended with saying it's obvious that Trump won't take office again. That is only obvious in a previous world where both political parties are doing democracy. The Republicans are not doing democracy anymore, and they control more states. So please take it more seriously. Uh, I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, Brian, we are taking it seriously, and that's why we're trying to get around some of the Senate rules to get some things passed. Simply screaming with your hair on fire, of course, I have no hair, so I can't really say that, but it isn't going to necessarily change it. I think, in fact, being the responsible voices about what's actually happening is helpful right now because the Republicans don't know what they are. They don't know who their leader is. And Donald Trump isn't doing so well in that front either. He had to close his blog down in less than a month. He's now back to grifting to raise money to kind of continue doing what he's doing. So just have some patience, I guess I would offer. I've been doing this for 30-some years, and I've seen a lot of things happen, and I've often been able to 
either learn from those experiences or be able to predict what's happening based on those experiences. And uh, I think, you know, what you're looking at with Arizona becomes more and more of a joke every day. So it's, it's not the threat to democracy. I think that, you know, right now you're thinking there are certainly real threats around voting rights, I think, that are the threat, right, uh, around uh, making it more difficult for people to be able to vote so that politicians can select their voters. And that is of real concern, and that's why we need the Senate to change the filibuster rules. That's very important, and I'd encourage everyone to get active on that. Paul in Culver City, California, you're on the air with Representative Pocamp. I wondered if there's any investigation into the April 27, 2016 Rossneft deal that was brokered and or facilitated at a VIP cocktail party Trump had at the Center for National Interest at the Mayflower Hotel uh, after his foreign policy speech. And uh, Donald Trump, of course, was there. Donald Trump Jr. was there. Jared Kushner was there. Jeff Sessions, Stephen Miller, Devin Nunez, Bud McFarlane, Jacob Hilburn, General Charles Boyd, Drew Gruft, Grover Norquist, Dimitri Seams, Got Colin it, Fariz. Got it. There's more. There's 24. Okay, thanks. Sure. Paul, I just don't know. Um, I I don't have enough information on it, and I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, that's uh, one of those things. But um, is it safe to assume that there is actually serious investigations of those kinds of things, all these sleazy and skeezy dealings that Trump was doing before, during, and after the 2016 election? I think states are doing their jobs, like we saw what New York is doing. I think Congress will do its best to do its job while still looking forward, also doing some backward looking. I'm, I'm a little more concerned on the Department of Justice, Tom, just bluntly, about how much looking back they're going to do. Right. That would be my bigger concern. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Back with your calls for Congressman Mark Pocan. Uh, here on the Tom Hartman program, and uh, Tim in Los Angeles. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, Tom. And oh, Tia, Mark. I'm sorry. My name is Tia. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. I'm a first time caller. I have a question. Okay. Here's my, well, here's my question. Okay. Since there was no FDA approval on these uh, various manufacturers of these COVID vaccines, for instance, Pfizer, Pfizer has made hundreds of billions of dollars in profit on these vaccines. My question is, Mr. Pocan, would you support an investigation or someone looking into whether the current and former administration is making a profit from this? Because there's a lot of money going out. And for a company, for companies not to be approved, but be... Tia, the, the, the COVID vaccines are approved by the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA did approve them. That's why they are able to be given to people. You're operating off misinformation. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, Congressman, do you, I don't know if you want to respond to that, but that, you know, this is these conspiracy theories that are floating around. Yeah, I think the only asterisk, but I, I completely agree with what you said, is they were approved for emergency use, and now they're going to get approved through the normal process. But again, I don't think there's anyone within the FDA who's profiting. Uh, clearly, the pharmaceutical companies are, are making money because that's what they do. You know, I, I think the real issue, Tom, that people should be focused on, I don't think many people know the statistic, is that every single drug approved by the FDA in the last decade has had gotten support from the National Institute of Health, which is our tax dollars. Every single drug. Has so been developed? In other words, that we, we paid for the development of every single one of those drugs in the last 10 years? Partially. Yeah. Partially. We were involved with the research. So when you see these companies charging us so much more in the United States than other countries, um, all of our tax dollars went to all of those drugs. And what I really think is a fair question is, at what point does the NIH start getting a cut of that uh, to restore for even more money for research, right, to help the, the greater good? Because to me, I think that's a very significant issue. And people don't realize the extent of how much their tax dollars have helped all those companies. Yeah, yeah, got it. David, or I, David, in San Francisco, you're on the air with uh, Congressman Pocan. Oh, thanks, Tom and uh, Congressman. Uh, as the infrastructure bill has gone into such intransigence, I've been calling a lot of talk shows in the red states or in the areas that are especially hit with, uh, for example, last year we had so many Category 5 hurricanes, and I've been just calling down in there 
they had to have had wreckage of their infrastructure and, you know, trying to get the uh, various uh, regions to sign on to the infrastructure bill. Have you noticed any weakening of the intransigence? I'm wondering how successful I've, uh, I've been in this effort. I hate to tell you, but unfortunately, not successful enough. Um, you know, unfortunately, the Republicans' rhetoric around all the money that hasn't already been spent and, you know, we don't need this infrastructure, which is clearly uh, ridiculous on, on every level, they haven't moved very much. And even on what the, the small uh, gang of 10 in the Senate has agreed to is a very, very scaled-back bill. American Society of Civil Engineers has said our nation gets uh, either a C-minus or D-plus grade, depending on when that report card came out. We need about $4.6 trillion to bring us up to, to speed. The, uh, President Biden's proposed about half of that in his original proposal. So um, I, I just don't see Republicans moving to be responsible yet on this, unfortunately. Thoughts for the next week? Yeah, I think the infrastructure bill is going to be very much alive uh, and people need to be heard. So reach out to your members of Congress about that. And then also we'll be moving the appropriations process in the next several months, at least in the House. I can't speak for the Senate because they have a different timeline. But be heard on the filibuster. You know, we really need to be heard loud and clear or else um, we're not going to be able to get things done there right now. The country is really at a moment to do. And uh, we need to make sure elected officials are aware of the public that. Got it. And totally with you. Congressman Pocan, thanks so much. It's always great having you with us. Thank you. Of course. Thank you, Tom. Great talking with you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. For the Tom Hartman Book Club today, we're reading from George Packer's new book, Our Man. It's, uh, the subtitle is Richard Holbrook and the End of the American Century. This is from the uh, prologue. Holbrook? Yes, I knew him. I can't get his voice out of my head. I can hear it saying, you haven't read that book, you really need to read it. Saying, I feel, and I hope this doesn't sound too self-satisfied, that in a very difficult situation where nobody has the answer, I at least know what the overall questions and moving parts are. Saying, gotta go, Hillary's on the line. That voice, calm, nasal, a trace of older New York, a sing-song cadence when he was being playful, but always doing something to you, cajoling, flattering, bullying, seducing, needling, analyzing, one-upping you, applying continuous pressure like a strong underwater current so that by the end of the conversation, even two minutes on the phone, you found yourself far out from where you'd started, unsure how you got there, and mysteriously exhausted. He was six one, but he seemed bigger. He had long, skinny limbs and a barrel chest and broad, square shoulder bones, on top of which sat his strangely small head, and encased within it the sleepless brain. One morning, he showed up late for a meeting in the Secretary of State's suite at the Waldorf Astoria in his stocking feet, shirt untucked and fly half-zipped, padding around the room and picking grapes off a fruit basket, while Madeleine Albright's furious stare tracked his every move. During a video conference call from the U.N. mission in New York, his feet were propped up on a chair, while down in the White House Situation Room, their giant distortion completely filled the wall screen and so disrupted the meeting that President Clinton's national security advisor finally ordered a military aide to turn off the video feed. The ice-blue eyes were on perpetual alert. Their light told you that his intelligence was always awake and working. They captured nearly everything and gave almost nothing away. Like one-way mirrors, they looked outward, not inward. I never knew anyone quicker to size up a room, an adversary, a newspaper article, a set of variables in a complex situation, even his own imminent death. The ceaseless appraising told me of a manic spirit churning somewhere within the low voice and languid limbs. Once in the 1980s, he was walking down Madison Avenue when an acquaintance passed him and called out, Hi, Dick. Holbrook watched the man go by, then turned to his companion. I wonder what he meant by that. Yes, his curly hair never obeyed the comb, and his suit always looked rumpled, and he couldn't stay off the phone or TV, and he kept losing things, and he ate as much food as fast as he could, once slicing open the tip of his nose on a clamshell and bleeding through a pair of cloth napkins. Yes, he was in almost every way a disorderly president, but his eyes never lost focus. So much thought, so little inwardness. He could not be alone. He might have had to think about himself. Maybe that was something he couldn't afford to do. Leslie Gelb, Holbrook's friend of 45 years and recipient of multiple daily phone calls, would butt into a monologue and ask, what's Obama like? Holbrook would give a brilliant analysis of the president. How do you think you affect Obama? Holbrook had nothing to say. 
Where did it come from, that blind spot behind his eyes that masked his inner life? It was a great advantage over the rest of us because the propulsion from idea to action was never broken by self-scrutiny. He zipped through Paris traffic while lecturing his State Department boss on the status of the Vietnam peace talks. His Humvee careened down the dirt switchbacks of the Mount Ingman Road above besieged Sarajevo, chased by the armored personnel carrier with his doomed colleagues. He loved mischief. It made him endless fun to be with and got him into unnecessary trouble. In 1967, he was standing outside Robert McNamara's office on the second floor of the Pentagon, a 26-year-old junior official hoping to catch the Secretary of Defense on his way in or out for no reason other than self-advancement. A famous colonel was waiting, too, a decorated paratrooper back from Vietnam, where Holbrook had known him. Everything about the colonel was pressed and creased, his uniform shirt, his face, his pants carefully tucked into his boots and delicately bloused about around his calves. He must have spent the whole morning on them. That looks really beautiful, Holbrook said, and he reached down and yanked a pants leg all the way out of its boot. The colonel started yelling. Holbrook laughed. George Packer's book, Power Man. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 